Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Turn with me to the Old Testament passage of 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings and chapter number 18. The book of 2 Kings and chapter number 18. We now come into one of the most influential and most important Judean kings, a man by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, and we find his story starting in the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 18. We've been, of course, tracing the lineage of Jesus Christ, and we're doing a character study on each one of these people from the generations of Jesus Christ, from Adam to Jesus Christ himself. And as we're in the middle of this, we now run into a period of Judean kings, and we've witnessed some good kings, including King... Um, <coughs> Uh, Uzziah, we saw King Jotham. Then unfortunately we saw his son, King Ahaz, who was not a good king. But praise the Lord, we have another good king up to bat. And we find him in again the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. Now his story expands a whole lot of scripture. We're just going to start off by reading a couple of verses and then trying to catch up with everything else that is listed. But notice with me if you don't mind the book of 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, king of Elah, or son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and brake the images and cut down the groves and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto these days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. He called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him... There was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from, the fo from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. And as we do the study of King Hezekiah, let's notice the secret of King Hezekiah's success. And we find it in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings 18, and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 6. For he clave to the Lord. So as we do a character study on Hezekiah, we can see this expression to him. He clave to the Lord. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And now as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just give us grace and that you would give us mercy. Give us understanding now as we now 
examine this great King Hezekiah and learn more about him and the miracles you did in his life and also learn how he turned out. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we now come into King Hezekiah's life, we could see a king who is very much a standard bearer in all of the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. The first thing I'd like to see about his life is that he was approved of God. He was approved of God. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number four. (laughs) He said, Um, Actually, verse number three, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father did. And he, Hezekiah, removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves. As we pause there, we could see that King Ahaz, if you remember, he tried to serve every other God, but the God of heaven. And he reinstituted these other things. He put in these other... (coughs) uh, Thank you. He put in these other gods and these false images. But Hezekiah, when he came up, one of his first things to do was to clean it up. Because that way people could just look at God himself and they wouldn't have the distractions. They wouldn't have the things that would be in the way. So much so that what he did in verse number four, that he removed the high praises and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. So what we see here is that he was cleaning house even to get rid of old ancient artifacts. You remember the brazen serpent that Moses had built? It was built inside of the wilderness wanderings. And as the children of Israel had murmured and complained again and again, God sent serpents to bite them. And as the serpents bit the children of Israel, they would get poisoned and they would begin to die. And so God had uh, Moses uh, fashion a serpent around a staff all in brass and he made it so all you had to do was look and you would live to look and live. Now we understand that it was God that was doing the miracle and they were just having a visible representation, something to look at at that time. But the people had taken it far and above what it should have been. And now they got into the place where they were actually worshiping this artifact, this remnant uh, that was left over from the days of Moses. They had now attributed that it had some sort of power. That they had some sort of magical, mystical aura about it. And so they offered incense to it. Expecting that this magical artifact would actually answer their prayers and help them. It's much easier than trusting God. And you know, we have people who do that today. I'm very cautious about the imagery of crosses because even with the idea of crosses, people attribute magical powers to it. You say, nuh-uh. Oh yeah, what if I took a cross and just broke it across my knee? (gasps) People would be expecting, why? Because they assume that there's magical powers. There's something mystical and magical about the cross. There is not. 
The cross reminds us that Jesus died for my sins. And it's all about whom he is. But you understand, people go towards this mysticism. We know that there are certain people within Christendom that look for all kinds of artifacts. The bones of a saint or the stairs that Jesus climbed or even the shroud where Jesus was buried. And they make a big to-do about it and hoping that if they get a touch or see the relic that perhaps they'll get some more power or get some more grace or more time off of their sentence to purgatory or whatever they believe. In fact, that's one of the reasons why God did not allow the original copies of the scriptures to be written. The one that Paul wrote with his own hand or David wrote with his own hand. That what we have is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Why? Because people would start worshiping the artifacts rather than looking to what it represented. We understand that God preserved the words, not the piece of paper. And that we could trust that. So we have to understand that we all tend towards this. And so when it came to push and shove, people say, no, I'm worshiping God. But I have to have my relic in order to worship God. You do not need a relic to worship God. You don't need prayer beads. You don't need an icon. You need the Lord. And you just go straight to him. And here's Hezekiah who was so determined to clean house. And to make sure that people were looking straight at God. He would even get rid of something. Can you imagine how precious that was? Can you imagine the uproar and the people who were upset that he would destroy an artifact, a historical thing. Proving of what Moses did in the wilderness. Well he did it because he had to. I don't believe he necessarily wanted to, but he could not allow the people to continue to worship an artifact rather than God itself. But this shows the extremes that Hezekiah went to to be right with God and encourage others to be right with God. Notice with me verse number 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. How much so? So that after him there was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Now up to this time, David was the standard bearer of kings. That if you wanted to see if how godly you were, you wanted to see how right you were, you wanted to see if you were walking in the right path, you would compare yourself to David. However, Hezekiah raised that bar up. And made it so now, if you wanted to compare how right you were as a king, how right you were as a follower of God, how right you were in your spirituality, you measured yourself to Hezekiah. Again, that shows the depths that he had of trying to be right with God, is that he became the new standard bearer of what you would measure yourself up to, to determine whether you were successful and righteous as a king. Notice as it goes on in verse number 6. What was his secret? For he clave to the Lord. That word clave is an interesting word in our English language. It's one of the only words in the English language to mean its own opposite. The word cleave carries the idea to, to cut in two. And it also means to grab a hold of. And so we understand that when he claimed to the Lord, he separated himself from the world unto the Lord. That was this trick. That was the thing. Is that he separated himself from everything so he could be with God and God alone. That God was the center. This was the secret of his following after God. Is he separated himself from everything else. And we saw the extremes he went to in verse number 4. 
for the purpose that he would be with God and God alone. That he would cleave to, hold to, and not let go. He claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. Here was the big thing. He determined he was going to be close to God. How? By obeying God's word. By the way, that's how you always measure, am I right with God? Are you obeying his word? Are you following what God has given him? Verse number seven, and the Lord was with him. We saw just on Wednesday night how we had uh, Ezra who had the good hand of God upon him. Once again, we see this idea again that the presence of God was with him. And he prospered wherever he went. Why? Because he clave to the Lord. If you want to know the secret of the Christian life, it's this. It's cleaving to the Lord. How's the New Testament put it? Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Him. That is the whole secret of the Christian life. By the way, it is an achievable secret. You can do it. You could follow it just by cleaving to God. Abiding in Christ. Well, as we go on, we know that Hezekiah's reign was not without its peaks and valleys. The next thing you see is the Assyrian shadow. The Assyrian shadow. Now, by Hezekiah's time, the Assyrian war machine now reached its zenith, its height in power. There was nothing that could stop this military juggernaut. The Assyrian empire has been encroaching more and more. We've already seen how the three previous kings before, uh, or two before, had actually tried to put a coalition to withstand. It was Ahaz, the king that came before Hezekiah, that tried to switch sides. And by the way, he helped him not. It didn't help him one little bit. The Assyrians stole everything he had and then said, good luck, see you later, and took off. Now Hezekiah is back on, or is on the throne. He gets the coalition back together. He's now the leader and God's prospering him, but they have to stand against this war machine that is taking everything. In fact, it was during King Hezekiah's time that the northern kingdom of Samaria was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 BC. This is that same time frame here where the Assyrians come and they destroy. Notice what happens in verse number 11. The king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria and put them Hala and harbor by the river of Gozen and the cities of the Medes. Why? Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed against his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them. Or do them. So this is talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. That God had enough. And he used the Assyrian empire. To whip. To spank. To chastise his people. Because they would not listen to God. So God used the Assyrians to do it. And it was a horrible horrible thing. And so we could see this shadow of the Assyrians casting. Could you imagine what a troublesome time it would be. For Hezekiah and his allies to watch Israel be wiped off the map. To be gone. And everybody looking said, what happens? Are we next? What's going to happen? How do we withstand this? Which now comes to a third thing I want to show you. The Assyrian threat. The Assyrian threat. Well, it did not take long for that Assyrian war machine to find its way to the gates of Jerusalem. Now, there was this coalition of nation that 
tried to withstand the Assyrians, but it fell apart. And when it fell apart, Hezekiah himself was forced to pay some money to the Assyrians just to withhold him a little bit while they could regather. But eventually, the Assyrians sent the army to surround Jerusalem. Now this event is so important and so Uh, necessary for the understanding of Hezekiah and the events that it's actually recorded three different times. It's recorded here in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18 through 20. It's recorded in the book of 2 Chronicles and it's repeated again in the book of Isaiah. And so whenever God repeats a, a thing It's important. When he repeats it three times, this is majorly important. In fact, in a secular view, the study of world history, this is one of those linchpin events that would have changed the entire course of history if it went a different way. I'm not underestimating this. This is one of those hallmarks, one of those most important pieces inside of history that occurs here. This is why God is emphasizing it. Because if God did not intervene, we would not have the our Bible that we would have today. We would not have any record of who God is. We would not have our Western thought, our uh, democracy, we would not have any of that because of this event here. If it went one direction than what it should have. You understand this is one of the linchpins of history. So what occurs? Well, the Assyrians come and they begin to give a series of psychological warfare. They have someone who begins to speak inside of the the Hebrew tongue to all of the soldiers and all of the people inside of Jerusalem. Let's pick it up in verse number 19. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak now, To Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trusted? Thou sayest, but they are vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, On which, if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all that trust him. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away, and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee two thousand horses, if thou wilt be able on thy part to set riders upon them. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of thy master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go and destroy the land. Go against this land and destroy it. Now, let's pause here. There's this guy who says in the midst of everyone, listen, what are you trusting in? You trusting in 
Egypt, let me tell you what it is. It's a broken staff that if you lean upon it, you're just going to fall over. It's just going to hurt you. Egypt's not going to do anything. Ah, but if you want to be spiritual and say, we trust God. Is it the same God that Hezekiah had destroyed all the temples and told you, you can't worship this, can't worship that. You could only worship one certain way. Are you going to worship that God? Hezekiah has taken away all your stuff. Now, again, he's not discerning that there is one way to worship God and there's a proper way to worship God. Hezekiah was strengthening the people, but he's using his psychological warfare. No, Hezekiah took away all your stuff. How can you trust in a God, say we trust in him, when you can't worship him the way that you want to? He goes on and says, listen, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you... Um, let me make sure I got the right number. He says, I'll give thee 2,000 horses. And if anybody who wants to get on a horse and ride away, you're free to go. Help yourself. We'll allow you to go. I'll provide you the horses to get away on. He goes on and says, now who are you going to trust up? You want to say that you're trusting in God? Let me tell you a secret. Your God told me to come and destroy the land. What are you going to do? How are you going to fight against that? Why don't you leave now? And he's saying this in front of everyone. Now they tried to get him to stop. Verse number 27 or 26. Then Elkam, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebaniah, and Jonah, uh, Joah, uh, unto Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. Talk not to us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. Now why are they asking this? Because they don't want to hear the people to hear the propaganda. Once the people start hearing the propaganda, they may get weak, they may get frightful, and they may try to bail and open the city up. Verse number 27, But Rabshakeh said unto them, Hath my master sent me? To thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit upon the wall? And he goes up there. I'm here to speak to the common man. I'm here to tell you you have no hope. Run now. Hezekiah can't save you. Your God can't save you. Egypt can't save you. Why don't you run now? Now can you imagine how devastating that would be to hear? Here is an war machine that has not lost that has been gobbling up territory after territory you just watched Israel get destroyed and now they're coming and they're speaking to the people in the Hebrew tongue they're not speaking in the Assyrian tongue or the Syrian tongue they are speaking in the Hebrew tongue telling them in the language that the people could understand what a horrible uh, psychological thing that's going on so what do you do with such things well, Hezekiah did what he was supposed to, and he prayed. He gathered he uh, Isaiah, notice with me in chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went to the house of the Lord. And he sent Elkanah, which is over the household, and Shepna the scribe, and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. And they said to him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This is a day of trouble, and of rebuke, and of blasphemy. For the children are come forth to the birth, and there's no strength to bring forth. It may be that God will hear all the words of Rebekah, whom the king of Assyria, his master, sent to reproach the living God. And will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnants that are left. Now, let's pause here. They go to God and they cheat. They say, God, 
Did you hear what this guy's been saying about you? God, it's not our problem now. It's your problem. He crossed the line. You take care of him. You defend your own name. By the way, that's the right answer. God, you take care of it. It's your battle. We can't do anything. God, you got to fight him. There's a lot of soldiers around. And they can't do anything. And so he goes off and sends more message. Uh, the Rebecca sends more messages. Hezekiah prays some more and says, God, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And God heard and answered the prayer. What did God do? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, as we pick it up in... Um, as God is giving a reply, God begins to seek to them. Um, Isaiah begins speaking in verse number 20. Let's uh, go to verse 32. God's still answering through Isaiah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, the same that he shall return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And so when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Hezekiah prays, gathers the other people to pray. Isaiah gets a word from the Lord, comes back and says, listen, God's got this handled. Don't worry about it. And so they went to bed saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to trust God. And in the middle of the night, God sent the angel of the Lord and they killed 185,000 Assyrian troops overnight. Now this is devastating because the Assyrians didn't fire a shot just like God said. They didn't send any batteries. All they did were they were still in the psychological campaign and in the middle of the night God killed 185,000. Now again, it's hard to imagine that number. We know that 185,000 people are more than Green Bay and Appleton and the surrounding communities. More. That's quite a bit, isn't it? This is a lot of people that died. Can you imagine as they woke up and they see fields of corpses all around? Imagine being on guard shift when the sun starts coming up and you actually see, what? They're all dead. Can you imagine that? Well, the Assyrians said, you know what? Not for us. We're going home. Well, when you lose 185,000 people, that's pretty devastating to any army. Notice what happens. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. God says he's going to go the same way he came back. But God wasn't done with Sennacherib. Notice with me in verse 37. And it came to pass as he, Sennacherib, was worshiping in the house of Anishroch, his god, that Adremelech and Shazar, his son, smote him with a sword, and they escaped to the land of Armenia. And Asher Hadadan, his son, reigned in his stead. So God says, don't worry, I've got him taken care of. And when the guy thought he was safe alone in his own private temple, his sons killed him. 
And God says, I've got it tangled. I've taken care of him. He's gone. God was able to protect him and watch over the entire nation of Israel. God is a good God. Now, like I said, this is one of those moments in history that if you, even if you were not a believer, but you believed in history and believed that the Bible was accurate to history, and you could go back and look at this, this is one of those linchpins of history. That if Sennacherib was able to go and destroy Jerusalem like he did Assyria or Samaria, we would not have anything of our modern world that we would have today. Our Bible, our culture, our way of thinking would all be erased. Praise the Lord that God was able to intervene in one of the key moments of all of history to protect and to work. Now, this is not the finished part of Hezekiah. We could see some more. We see next of all a miracle of healing. A miracle of healing. First number two, uh, chapter 20 verse 1. And in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Now, can you imagine Hezekiah is ruled for a while. He's already seen this great miracle. And Isaiah the prophet knocks on the door. King, I got a message from God. Put your affairs in order. You're going to die and not live. See you later. Walked away. Now, Hezekiah believed the preacher. Why not? God's used Isaiah already mightily. And so he went to pray right away. He goes to his, immediately starts praying. Lord, I've tried to walk with you. I'm asking that you would spare me. God, please take God. And he starts weeping and crying. Verse number four. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah had gone to the middle of the court, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, turn again and tell Hezekiah and go back and tell him he's going to live. So here's Isaiah having to deliver bad news. He gets downstairs, goes to the courtyard, and as he's taking a step, God says, all right, turn around. Go tell him he's going to live. Okay. And turns around and goes back and says, all right, listen, God heard you cry. God heard your prayers. You're going to live another 15 years. Isn't that an amazing God? That God was able to heal. That God was able to go. His life would be expended. Now as proof of this promise, notice what happened in verse number 7. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, this sign shall the Lord, or shall thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. Now what is he speaking about? Well, remember, they tell time by a sundial. And as they had the sundial, they said, All right, you want God to fast forward time or rewind time? Well, it's no big deal for time to go quickly. How about it go backwards? And so we sent it back 10 degrees. Uh, let's see if I can remember how much the 10 degrees were. That's about 20 minutes. So God says, here, I'll give you it. To prove it, let's go back in time 20 minutes. Can you imagine what the rest of the world, aren't you glad they didn't have digital clocks back then? God reversed it 20 minutes. 
Just to prove that God is a God that nothing is impossible with God. Just to prove to Hezekiah that Hezekiah was going to live. Now you would expect that Hezekiah would um, use this time wisely. Unfortunately, there's something about time that things start falling apart. And I want to show you one last thing in Hezekiah's life. As long as there's peace in my house now. Now, as he recovered, verse number 12, and at that time, Berechadan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he'd heard that Hezekiah was sick. Oh, that's so nice. Now, remember, the Assyrian Empire is the rulers of the world right now. And in the middle of the Assyrian Empire is a holy religious city called Babylon. Now, what the Assyrians do not know is that Babylon has started to gain power. That the king of Babylon, which is part of the Assyrian Empire, has started to get some power and started to get to the place where people saw him as the correct ruler of the empire. And so now as they're gaining power, they want to be diplomatic. They start going to the powerful kings like Hezekiah. Doesn't Hezekiah have a name? He's the one who, under his rule, prayed to his God and his God destroyed 185,000. If you were going to overthrow the Assyrian Empire, wouldn't you want to get to know this guy? And so they wrote a letter to him and said, Oh, I'm sorry that you felt bad. And if there's anything we can do to be a blessing, just let us know. Oh, by the way, we're coming for a visit. Well, Hezekiah says, Well, they're my friends. They told me how bad they felt and they're glad that I recovered. Why not tell them and, and give them a tour? And so he gives them a tour. And this is the armory. This is where we keep our weapons. Is this all the weapons that you have? Oh yeah, this is all that we have. And here's the treasury. This is all the money that we have left. Look at all the things that God has blessed us with. Is this all you have? Oh yes. <laughs> and he wasn't realizing that they are spying him out. Because right now the Assyrians look like the biggest threat. They do not know that the next world empire is the Babylonians. And whereas the Assyrian nation destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. It's going to be the Babylonians who come and destroy Jerusalem. And here's Hezekiah opening up his doors and showing the enemy he does not know the enemy. All of his stuff for them to take stock of. And for them to say, hmm, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to feed. Hezekiah, can you show us your defenses? Oh yeah, this is how this tower works. And this is what it here. Oh, cool. Nice. Thanks. And they're learning everything. Now, God sends Isaiah to pull him aside and said, what in the world are you doing? Notice with me in verse 14. By the way, into verse number 13, it says there was nothing that Hezekiah showed him not. I mean, he showed them not. He showed them everything. Verse number 14. Then came Isaiah the prophet to King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto you, or unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. He's bragging happy. Hey Isaiah, these people came from a far country just to see me. Isn't that great? Verse number 15. And he said, what have they seen in thy house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. 
Again, he's bragging. He thinks he did well. Look, I showed them everything. I wanted to show them how great things are going here. Verse number 16. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which is thy father's have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried away into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy son shall issue from thee, which that thou shall beget, they shall take away... Uh, shall they take away and they shall become shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now here's this. Listen Hezekiah, everything you showed them, the Babylonians are going to carry away. In addition, your children, the descendants that you have, they're going to be carried away and be made eunuchs. What is a eunuch? It's a special surgery to make a guy not be able to reproduce. They're going to be eunuchs and they're going to serve in the palace. They're going to be servants to Babylonians. Now, what would you think Hezekiah did? Now, normally, he has been told bad news. He would pray. How does he respond now? Verse number uh, 19. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my day? Hezekiah, your kids and your grandkids are all going to be hauled away to Babylon and they're going to be slaves. Well, as long as there's peace in my house now. What does this mean? What did he come from? Well, there comes a time where people get tired of the fight. They've been fighting for such a long time and they get to the place where they just want peace. This happens in houses where teenagers in. That the teenagers listen to whatever music they want and, and they have the stereo up. Chunt the music off. You shouldn't be listening to that. And they get in the fight. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Finally, they said, just put on earphones. All I want now is peace. They get to the place where they have siblings that fight against each other. And they don't care about anything. They just want them to be quiet. They just want peace peace. And we see this throughout the Bible too. That preachers and kings, Hezekiah spent a lifetime of fighting and trying to do what's right. Do you think the people were happy when he got rid of their idols and whatnot? Absolutely not. Do you think they were happy when he got rid of uh, Nehushtan, the staff that, that uh, Moses had? Absolutely not. Didn't he have to fight for all those things? Yes. He had to fight against the Assyrians. He had to fight against this. Fight against this. And now as he's been extended in life 15 years. All he wants now is as long as there's peace in my day. What he is saying is I don't care about the consequences later on. I'll take peace now and forsake the consequences later. As long as there's peace in my day. Day. Let me tell you, the fight gets long. Preachers get tired of fighting. This is why you see some of the older preachers start giving up standards. They said, go ahead and do whatever you want. Use whatever you want. I don't care. I just want peace. When a preacher gets there, he should no longer be pastoring. Because you have to fight, you have to stand, and you have to say this is what it is. Because tomorrow's consequences are important. That if we fight the fight now, we're protecting the future. There are certain things that we fight for. And you understand that we get tired in the battle. 
But the battle has to go on and you have to be strengthened to surrender and say, just as long as I have peace now, I'm tired of trying to get my teenager to do what's right. It's just too much of a battle. I'm just going to wait till they get home and they just have their own consequences. As long as I have peace now. Listen, I'm tired of fighting people. They ask me all the time for this. Uh, they they say, we can't, why can't we have to use this version? Why can't we use something else? Why can't we have drums? Why can't we have this? Why can't we have plays? Why can't we? And they get tired of the fight. So just, just, I just want peace to whatever it is. Not realizing that it's going to have consequences for the next generation inside of churches. Next consequences inside of believers. Next consequences in all kinds of things. And so it's either you fight the battle now and protect the future. Or you have peace now and let the future rot. As long as I have peace in my house now. You understand the thing of Hezekiah is that he was a good king. He wasn't an evil king. He didn't turn it over. He just got tired of the fight. And just wanted peace. Now we could sympathize with him. But he's the king. It's his job. His job to do what's right. His job to lead others that's right. You can't set it on coast. And you can't say well I just want to ride it out. You can't say just as long as there's peace in my day. I don't care about the consequences for later. You understand this is a message that we all need because one of the hardest things to do is to finish strong. It's easy for people to start things. It is very hard to finish them. It's very easy to take the baby home and go, oh, look at the baby. Look at the nice baby. It's nice. And then the baby grows up and starts lying and having fits and crying and disobeying and whatever else. And you ha- it's a constant battle. You say, when does the battle stop? When they get married and leave. Maybe even not even after that. But it's so easy for people to say, as long as there's peace in my house. I'm tired of the fight. You just do whatever you want. Just keep it quiet. And they're allowing that child to be ruined. Again, This is something that's so easy to do because we get tired of doing what's right. We get tired of standing up. We get tired of the fight. We get tired of the pushback. It's hard to work with people who don't want to be helped. Sometimes the biggest heartbreak of the ministry is desiring more for people than what they want for themselves. And it gets easier and easier just to say, listen, I just want peace. I don't want to fight no more. I'm done. But you understand that's the whole Christian life. Is contending for the faith. One more passage just to emphasize this. In the book of Jude. The book of Jude is right before. um, (coughs) The book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible is Revelation. The book before that is Jude. Let me show you this. To illustrate this. That the Christian life is all about building and battling. And there is no coasting. We're thankful for times that God gives us relief. But the battle doesn't stop. There is no victory without the building and without the battling. The book of Jude is the second to last book of the Bible. Only one chapter. The book of Jude. And notice with me if you don't mind. In verse number 3. Jude verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend 
for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Let's pause here. Some people imagine this verse says, listen, I intended to write to you of the common salvation and write to you of the good things, but instead I have to write to you about contending for the faith. No, 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 no. What it is saying is beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful. Because I am trying to write to you about the common salvation, it is needful for me to also tell you we must earnestly contend for the faith. Otherwise, we don't have a salvation to tell you about. It gets watered down and taken away and chiseled about. That in order to tell you about the common salvation, there are some things I also have to fight for. Let me tell you that salvation is by faith through grace. And not of works, not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. We can never compromise on that. However, compromise is always coming in and we have to fight for it. Listen, the only way we get saved is by Christ and Christ alone. Baptism doesn't save us. Good works don't save us. Turning over a leaf doesn't save us. It is Christ and Christ alone. And you understand everything about the Christian life is the constant battle. And in order to tell you about the good things, I also have to contend for the faith. And let you say that there are certain things we're not going to compromise on. Certain things we can't bend on. Certain things. This is the Christian life to earnestly contend for the faith. And I understand it gets tiring. But that's where the Lord is able to strengthen us. It's able to keep us going. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because if we're not looking to God. We get to the place where we get tired of the fight. And then the next thing you say is that as long as there's peace in my day. Don't worry about the future. That's not my problem. As long as there's peace in my day. So the question I want to ask you is, are you tired of the fight? Let me tell you, your prayer, your, your, your goal should be going to God and say, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of push, getting the pushback. I'm tired of trying to contend. But Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength so I could finish strong for the next generation. That the next generation has what they should have instead of letting them rot away and be ruined. Help me to have the strength to continue strong. To finish what we started. To earnestly contend. To earnestly keep going. Like I said, it's easy to start something. It is very hard to finish it. Because it gets hard, tiresome, cumbersome, redundant. And you have to keep doing it. It's easy just to start it and then stop it. And let it be undone. Let it be incomplete. Let it not be finished. Where do we get the strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. To keep going for him. To realize that this is a failing. When you look at all the people in the, in the, in the Bible. You'll notice this trend. Here's Abraham. He didn't finish. Or, or Isaac. He started strong. He didn't finish strong. You looked at Samuel. He started strong, but he let his kids go to the world. He failed. He got tired of the fight. You'll see this over and over this theme. Older folks get tired of the battle and get to the place just as long as I have peace. It's all I want is peace and let the kids worry about the consequences. As long as there's peace in my day. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.